Hello and welcome back to Falling Out. As ever, I am your host, Elgin Strait, and before getting to this week's episode, I have a few orders of business I'd like to address. First and foremost, I want to talk about Ed Kaufman. Ed Kaufman is a first-generation Mooney. He joined when he was in his early 20s. I think that occurred in the 60s or maybe 70s. He had a long career in the church, and he left about 10 years ago, and he was the first person to contact me after I went live with this show, offering words of encouragement and support out of the blue. He was the first Patreon subscriber that I ever had, and it saddens me to say this, but he passed away maybe 10 days ago or so. And Ed and I had a lot of conversations since that first time that he reached out to me. We were actually thinking of bringing him on the show as a guest, but we never quite got it to happen and we can never quite agree on exactly what the scope of that conversation would be. But at the end of the day, if there's one thing I know about Ed, it's that after dedicating his life to the church, he was very passionate about trying to expose others to the truth of the horrendous nature of the Unification Church. In fact, he had an infectious, almost hyperactivity about it to the point where I actually had to push back and say, Ed, you need to stop contacting me as much as you are so that I can focus on running this show. But I can't fault him for his intentions. His intentions were good and they were pure and honest in his wanting to help others who had been duped by this horrible institution. Now, Ed has unfortunately passed away. He leaves behind a wife and a son. They are both in the infamous gun cult now run by Sean Moon. It will surprise no one to learn that Ed and his family are not in the best position financially at the end of his life. And his son has started a GoFundMe to pay for the cost of his funeral arrangements. This is a sad reality for many first-generation members who dedicated their lives to this organization. It leaves them out to dry when they die. And so what I'd like to do now is I would like to ask anyone who feels inclined to please consider donating to Ed Kaufman's funeral expenses. There will be a link in the show notes to it, and I will personally match any contributions made by Falling Out listeners up to $300. If you'd like to take part in that and make use of the match, then please donate using the GoFundMe link and send an email to info at fallingoutpod.com with a screenshot of the amount, and I'll do the rest. Thank you, and rest in peace, Ed. And now on to the second order of business. As I think I've mentioned on this show previously, I did a guest appearance on the QAnon Anonymous podcast a few weeks ago regarding the connections between the Moonies and the Washington Times and the rightward shift in America in general. As a result of that conversation, the guys who do that podcast actually went to the Rod of Iron Freedom Festival. And for those that don't know, the Rod of Iron Freedom Festival is an event run by Sean Moon and his gun cult. It's been going on annually for the last few years where they cozy up to all the Trumpy, MAGA, QAnon type folks and 
try to create some bizarre photo ops with that whole crowd. And yes, one of the guys from QAnon Anonymous went to that event, and I was able to act as a sort of interpreter (laughs) to translate the crazy (laughs) for him, and I'm delighted to have done so. So two things. Soon there will be a QAnon Anonymous episode focusing specifically on the Rod of Iron Freedom Festival, and I think that will be of interest to the members of this audience. But also the producers of that podcast did a Twitch stream recently where they specifically talked about their experiences going there. They shared some photos of the various crazies that they met and talked about their various experiences and how crazy the whole fucking thing was. So... I'm going to include a link to the recording of that Twitch stream. I'd recommend fast-forwarding about 16, 17 minutes into when they really start talking about it. But fundamentally, I think that's something that could be of immense interest to the people that listen to this show. And finally, one further point. I mentioned Ed was my first Patreon subscriber earlier. First of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who's provided financial support so far. That means a great deal to me. I have to be honest, I haven't been able to offer much to my Patreons so far, and I've been pretty upfront about that with them. But I'm delighted to say that starting with this episode, Patreon subscribers will be able to view video recordings of the interviews. So shortly after this goes live in audio format on all the pod places, it will also go live in video format for Patreon subscribers, if you would like to become part of that cool crew, you should go to patreon.com slash fallingoutpod and consider subscribing. After watching videos of myself interviewing, I can tell you that I have learned that I am a hand talker. These motherfuckers are waving all over the place. It's happening right now as I'm saying this. And guess what? You're missing that if you're only listening to me in your ears. So think about that. Think about the beautiful hand movements that you could see if you became a Falling Out Patreon subscriber. They add like 30% to the expressiveness, I think, of the whole endeavor. Just saying. And regardless of whether or not you're interested in that, please leave reviews, likes, subscribes on all the platforms. All of that helps with the algorithm and helps with the visibility of this show. Also, tell your friends. They might be interested. Who knows? Okay. I think that's it with the orders of business. Let's let's talk about this episode just to understand the history here. So after doing the interview with Leamy Bauer and the the amount of focus and attention that that, that 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 put on to Jacob House, I was contacted by Algin and Sunne, who are two sisters, one of whom was in Jacob House and specifically was there in the run up to Jacob House being shut down. I thought that was an interesting story, and we're going to look into that in part one of this episode. We're also going to look at, again, this is kind of a recurring theme that's coming up. It's just the shit educational institution. So we're going to look at the shunning of an eight-year-old in, yeah, think about that, an eight-year-old being shunned, ostracized, kicked out of her community by... The so-called educators in a so-called educational institution. Does that sound familiar to you? I feel like maybe we've heard that one before on this show, except it wasn't with a fucking eight-year-old. But yeah, that for me, that's one of the things that, that really sticks out in this interview. There's a lot more interesting stuff in here. I'm really delighted that Aljin and Sunny 
stepped forward. And yes, Algin and I have virtually identical sounding names. We talk about that in this show. <laughs> um, here it is, part one of my interview with them. Yeah, we're, we're, we're here. We're live. Um, thank you both to Algin and Sunny for, uh, for coming on the show. I'm delighted that you both are here. Um, I guess to start, and this is an unusual episode for us because we have two siblings, which I think is going to be really interesting. Um, I think, can we just start off with, with introductions uh, so the audience can associate, associate you know, names with voices? So uh, Algin, why don't, I, why don't I start off with you? I guess if you could just say a little bit about... Um, you know, when you were born and where you were born, uh, just to help people like place, place that. And then we'll, we'll go to, uh, to your sister. Yeah. Um, so I'm Algen. I'm the oldest. Um, I was born in Manhattan. Uh, we, and, uh, in 1983, uh, lived yeah. in Queens, Flushing, Queens, um, until, uh, yep. Until Maryland. Thank you, Mandy. Um, yeah. Okay. We, uh, we were probably, our parents must've known each other because I lived in Queens as well. Um, oh. So, and I never, I don't remember hearing your surname when I, when I grew when I grew up, but I, yeah, I lived in Queens. I lived in, in New York in Manhattan and then I moved to Queens uh, and I moved to DC when I, D, uh, DC, Maryland area in uh, 86. Um, so yeah. My mom there's... knows your dad and she's mentioned it. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. And that brings us to, can you please introduce yourself? Yep, I'm Sunny. I'm the youngest. Um, I was born in Queens um, in 1985. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, um, yeah, it's again, it's great to have you guys both. And um, I know we, well, there, there's some topics that, that I, you know, we've, we've talked about before, before the show that we want to, we want to cover. I think, um, you know, it sounds like the, the best person that to start on those topics is, is Algin, the oldest. Um and actually, Algin, can I just, I just want to say like, so your name is just so flipping similar to mine, um, which is crazy. So can you just tell people about like the, the origin of your name? Uh, yes. So um, my, my mom has a thing with dreams, um, but when she was pregnant with me, um, she had a dream of, um, as she states, three Korean women in a huddle she walks up to the women and she hears the name Olgen and um woke up and said that's her name um and then she tried to do a little uh digging and whoever she spoke with um just kind of came up with well the the meaning of the name is charismatic leader for the spirit and um something silly like that so uh they yeah my mom just kind of went with it i i don't think it's a an official korean name Mm. um but uh it's something that i've even outside of the church decided to keep okay okay interesting interesting so i i I don't know if i've ever explained the origin story to my of my name on the show but my parents based the way they tell it is they combined the letters in their name um, to create my name, Elgin, um, which is, you know, factually correct that all of the letters in my name exist in their name. Um, But 
when I hear stories like like yours uh, and names like yours, and I know of all the Korean names of all the, the kids that were you know born around the same time as me, it's really hard for me not to think that those had some sort of impact upon the name the name that my parents chose for me um because mm. your your name and mine sound almost identical when they're pronounced they look different different in terms of how they're written but pronunciation nearly identical yeah yeah it's yeah it's a little weird yeah and it's, it's fun to play with i think yeah yeah <laughs> oh okay um so yeah let's um let's kind of okay so you're born in you're born in manhattan um you're part of that whole East Coast baby boom uh, post, uh, you know, your parents getting married in Madison Square Garden. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of people that are that are part of that baby boom. Um, but yeah, can you tell us a bit about your your experience, experience there as much as you're aware of? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, it, it wasn't as uh bad you know except for the the jacob house um part do you want me to start with that yeah i guess well, well yeah 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 we i guess yeah specifically yeah like i guess you know jacob house has become a big area of focus uh to, to understand and, and shed some light on so i yeah, i guess i'm kind of curious yeah so like how long were you there do you, like for what ages and you know did you spend yeah. any time with your parents beforehand or what what yeah i guess yeah. That, that's the main question so the um so uh I, I was seven seven to nine months old is when I was there um and uh my parents had to go I think on separately uh to go witness be you know together with their groups and witness and do conditionings um and they uh my mom stayed with me for I think a week um left like when she, you know, my first time being there, she stayed with me for a week. She left to, um, I think she mostly stayed in Boston at the time. Um, she called at one point to check on me and was told uh, that I was uh, really sick, diarrhea, all of that. She comes back and she stays for a little bit and then decides to go back to her group and leave again. Um, and do you know, was reassured. do you know how old you were when she came, when she kind of discovered you were sick and, and she came down to see you? Um, I think because I was there from seven to nine months old, probably nine months would have been, you know, the, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. That I'm sorry. Okay. So, so that was the, the, the time period in your life was seven to seven to nine. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I, mis- I misunderstood. I thought you said you were, you were dropped off, dropped off there somewhere between the ages of seven and nine months. Um, but no, I, I understand. Okay. Oh, so you were, okay. So you were there for two months two correct. two months in your early life. Got it. I understand. And then, yeah. um, and actually I should say, just in case anyone is new, is new to the show, uh, what we're talking about, um, is a effectively a church run orphanage effectively where kid parents will drop off their kids to live in full-time care, uh, in a group situation at a very young age. Um, and then they would be, uh, that, that was for the purpose of the parents then being able to go and do mission work. So in, in your case, uh, your parents case, excuse me, fundraising. Um, so yeah, that's the context here. And so that was in the, in the suburbs of New York and then, and your, your mother was in the Boston area, it sounds like, and then she got a phone call. 
yeah, she got a, a, a phone call about uh, me being sick. She came and visited and was reassured by uh, the women. Um, she said it was Mrs. Kim um, and some other uh, staff, quote unquote, there. Uh, they claim to be, you know, have a nursing profession and a doctor profession. And um, that wasn't the case. You know, they were just kind of thrown into the mix of and assigned a role. Um, Anyway, so she, after she left, um, I not, I'm not, I'm guessing this would have been, you know, where I was nine months. Um, she had a dream uh, that I was dying in, in my crib. Whoa. And she immediately gets, gets up um, the, I believe the man who was the leader of the group. Um, oh, I wrote down his name, but. I can't find it. Anyway, uh, she begged the guy uh, to take her back uh, to Terrytown and okay, as in like uh, so the leader yeah. of her like fundraising group, as opposed yeah. to like yeah, got it, like her central figure. Yes, got it. Um, and uh, so within 24 hours, she uh, got back to um, the Jacob House and um, saw that uh, my eyes were sunken in. My belly was bloated. Um, I was dehydrated. Uh, and um, so she immediately took me to the hospital. I don't know if other members came with her. I'm not sure where my dad um, played a part in this. Um, but uh, when I got to the hospital, my veins were collapsing and the doctor told her that I could have died. Um, at Holy that shit. point, this is at the age of nine months. Yes. Fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. And being told this, uh, by my mom throughout my life, um, because of her own guilt is kind of weird. It's kind of, you know, just, um, slightly traumatizing, just mm. imagining as a child and then on through my adulthood, you know, what had happened yeah. and not really knowing everything about it um she said that the cps uh did get involved and sorry her, cps is child protective services just to yes yeah for okay. new york yeah. yeah okay got it got it and uh yeah uh told her and my dad to you know not leave the state don't go anywhere um stay home um and then they were cleared uh the jacob house was cleared but at that point, the Jacob's, Jacob House shut down. So there was no more holding a nursery, as far okay. as we know. I thought throughout the time that, um, you know, it shut down completely. Um, I, there's really just a lot of uh, black holes in this. You know, I just, uh, some mysteries. I just don't know entirely what happened other than we can only speculate from the information that we've gathered. Mm. Um, I did reach out. I sent a, a letter to the CPS in New York to oh, try wow. to get any kind of information yeah. um, based on what happened um, from that rights to know act, I think yeah. is okay. the name of it. Um, and they mailed me a letter back saying that there was no information about it. So that kind of leaves another mystery, like, you know, was did they just not do an, a good enough job going through, you know, the archives from the eighties or did the, you know, the church try and smother that information 
so it wasn't exploited. Who knows? Um, but uh, so after that, I mean, my my mom, you know, throughout the entire time, you know, she's always been such a great mom, um, very loving aside from, you know, what the church demanded her to do. Um, yeah. And uh, so she, you know, brought me back to help and, and um, you know, stayed in the church and kept going through everything. Uh, I eventually went to um, Janae, um, which uh, was a preschool um, that we had to take a long trip to. It was in New Jersey. So you had to travel from New York to New Jersey to go to Janae. And, and this um, is a church-run have... preschool? I've never heard of this place. Yeah. yeah How's that? Some pictures. How's it spelled? Uh, J-I-N dash A. Jin A. Okay. Yeah. It's like our, so (laughs) it's like the last two parts of our names. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Um, No, it's just wild. Like the number of times I speak to someone and they mention like some other, you know, so-called educational facility that what existed for like a few years and then it disappeared. Um, and, and I'm like, yeah. what, who, and in all these places, especially on the East coast, I feel like it would happen a lot on the East coast. Cause that was sort of a hub of, of Mooney activity for a while, but especially, yeah. especially like in the eighties, probably in the nineties, it did sort of spread out, spread out a bit more, but yeah, I mean, this is crazy. I've never heard of this place. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I wonder like what, yeah, what the deal is. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was yeah. a very unique place. Oh, Sorry. go ahead. Sunny. Yeah. Sunny, please. So I, I did want to add a couple of things about that. So um, in my efforts to kind of understand and heal through all of this and figure out, I've, you know, confronted my parents a few times and really got some honest answers from them because they, I, we should clarify, they have also left the church. Okay. Um, they, you know, are no longer in it. Okay. Um, but my mom said that the, one of the main reasons that she stayed, she saw a lot of red flags and things like that, um, even before getting blessed and after. But one of the main reasons that she stayed um, was because, and why she went on that mission trip after my daughter, my sorry, my, daughter, my sister was born, um, was because uh, of the needing to fix the ancestral lineage and heal them and help them pass on which was a big part of the church yeah um, doctrine and she she felt so guilty you know like this was all on her shoulders and she had to do it mm-hmm. um, but that not only would it restore the ancestry situation but it would ensure that her children would also continue um with the blessing and you know being pure and have their lineage be good with all of the things that she had to do so all of the conditionings and things like that was not only for the past lineages of our ancestors but the future um of her family um and so she felt if she she didn't want to leave Alden at um at the Jacob house, you know, cause she was like, why would I want to leave my children? But she felt so much guilt and pressure that like she had to do this in order for it to, um, you know, to fulfill everything that she was in the church for. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So, I mean, she just, is just one of those things where it's like, I think that's <laughs> the biggest part. And I think for us, when we're as a second generations that are leaving the church, um, it's important to kind of understand why our parents joined to begin with, like mm-hmm. what, 
what was their motivating factors because otherwise none of it makes any sense like you know why would you leave your kid that way and she also said um, our mom actually worked at Jacob's house prior to being blessed Wow. And she said, she said it was a beautiful place. Everybody loved the children and it was very, you know, and I believe that, you know, my mom is one, nothing but to be a mom, you know, like that was her mission in life. And so being around children and taking care of children, she felt like they did a very good job and they didn't have a lot of issues. And that would have been in the seventies, you know, yeah. um, that she was doing that. Um, and so she felt honored that Algin can be place at Jacob house um, without, you know, having to find some other relative or person to take care of her because other families, not every family put their kid in Jacob house. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, she felt it was an honor to do that because she felt like that was where, you know, her kid was going to get the best care and love because that's how she perceived it. But, you know, people change, you know, and they're, and my mom says they're bringing in a lot of um, newer members, younger women who were coming from different countries and things like that, and just being thrown into the caretaker role mm. at this house that they really didn't have. Just like Aldrin said, the nobody actually had any licenses to do it, you know, to yeah. be a doctor, to be a nurse, to be a caretaker. Like, there wasn't training. It was just thrown in and like, now take care of these kids. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the pattern that like, you see in all of these places, like, like uh, you know, you want to be a teacher, go for it. You want to just, you know, you don't need a, you don't need any qualifications. Just, the qualification is you're a part of the cult. Boom, there you go. Here's your job. Um, it's just how it works. And actually, I, I'm just kind of listening to that. And I, I'm wondering, I, I think it's a really interesting point And a really interesting topic of conversation is, is like the motivation of the parents to get involved. And I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned that your mother felt this like extreme um, desire to sort of right the wrongs of her, of her ancestors uh, or to, to like set the, the ancestral lineage free or in the right direction or whatever, however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, does she, did anything in particular happen in her ancestry or like, I'm wondering if there's a reason why she might be like, might've been like feeling that guilt more than more than other people, because I, I know it's a thing, but I don't, it's not a thing that anyone has ever articulated to me, at least on this show as a specific reason why, why they think their parents got involved. So I'm just kind of curious if there was like any particular, like strong feelings around that topic that you're aware of. Um, well, one of the things in her recruitment and joining the church was, that, and prior to the blessing was that they had to go through, they had to contact their family or find out their family's um, ancestral lineage as far back as they go um, and have like essentially a genealogy so that people would be um, I don't know what what they were trying to do with it but yeah. <laughs> that, they could, that they could heal it and then they did it again later um, when they were trying to build um, the palace in Korea yeah um, they had to go through all of that again but um, I do believe that our mom um, she was raised Catholic and I think being Catholic um, there's a lot of guilt. You're already primed for guilt well. if you grow up Catholic. <laughs> um, and that's just kind of the thing. Actually, what she told me was the selling point for her to join the church was um, was actually Teddy Hose's dad said to her um, that this is this is our chance to make sure that we're not the ones um, turning away the new, you know, 
the second coming of Christ, that we're not the ones um, crucifying him. Like we've seen in the history that this is what happened. And now this is the time that this is going to happen again. And we, we need to make sure that we are doing it right this time around and not, you know, crucify the second coming. You know, do you want to be part of that, you know, um, group that crucifies <laughs> the new Jesus, you know, so, so to speak. Whoa. Um, so for her, there was never the church. It was a movement of Christianity. Of course, and, that's what they all say. You know, and a new way, <laughs> a new way of fulfilling some yeah. spiritual voids that were there. But I think with the guilt, I mean, my mom, if you ever would get to know her, she's a wonderful person and she's a very selfless person. She does a lot for other people and gives a lot to other people. Um, you know, I think she's only now starting to realize that she needs to do more for herself and, you know, and not give everything of herself to everyone else. So I think it was part of her nature, part of the Catholic upbringing, you know, that allowed for that guilt to weigh so heavy, but something along the way of the way they were being taught the, the doctrine of the church was, you know, that this is, this is on you. You guys are the first yeah. generation and this is, yeah. Yeah. This is all you guys to restore all of this. Yeah, yeah. I so uh, that's definitely something that I remember feeling was a was a part of like my parents' psyche. It's like they they they're kind of like once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And yeah. if you don't heed this call, then you're on the hook for eternity for you know, like you said, being the guys that that crucify the next Jesus, basically. Um, right. That's yeah. There's a lot of that happened. And can I just ask, so you mentioned, this is actually really interesting, like, a, you know, a callback to a previous interview, you mentioned Teddy Hose's dad. Yeah. So is, is he the guy that recruited your, your mother into the church? Is he her, her no. so-called spiritual father? Um, she, he wasn't her spiritual father, but she was recruited in Davis, California, somewhere around that, on, around a college campus or something like that, and was invited to come to a workshop and um, and I, I can't remember what she told me was the hook, line and sinker that got her to go to the workshop, but when she was there, she was still kind of questioned, like, oh, this is, this seems kind of a little abstract too much, you know, this doesn't all make sense, but then, um, Teddy Hose's father was giving a lecture in one of those things, and that, and he said, that line and that's what she remembers the most and that was what got her you know it's like do you want to be part of you know the the generation that welcomes and you know serves the new the second coming of christ or do you want to be the one that persecutes him you know and that was something that just hit her you know wow okay so he wasn't her spiritual father the spiritual father is like the or, or parent would have been the person that invited her to that event, right? Right, right. Okay. But it sounds like, you know, Teddy Hose's dad, he was like the closer, the, the, like the, the, um, or not, he's you know what it's like? It's like, um, it's like multi level marketing. Yeah. Uh, like you got the foot soldiers that go bring people to the event and then the people go to the event and they get all crazy and wild and there's, you know, someone sells them the dream and then, they join. Um, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's, wow. That's amazing. Um, that's really, I mean, yeah. And I, I would, I would say like perhaps Teddy's dad had more to do with this, with your parent joining than 
the person who like got them to go to the event, but you know, what, whatever. I know that's not how the church accounts for it. Yeah. We're not placing blame on any. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're not, but that's, that's just really interesting to yeah. hear that story. Cause I think, I just think it's really interesting context. And, and I'm, it's awesome that like your parents have given you that much clarity on like the, the, mm-hmm. the moment, the moment, the thing that made them join. I think that's really interesting. Cause I think for some people it's kind of missing in terms of how yeah, they, they yeah. think about their experience. Um, so I think, I think that's really interesting and probably, you know, you would hear similar stories from other people um, about that, that same like turning point in their parents' lives. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to completely take over all. No, 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 that's awesome. That was a really interesting, in, interesting yeah. topic. That, that was really cool. Um, and sorry, so where were we? So uh, Aljun was talking about, uh, where were you? Janae. Janae, Janae. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Being a, a child, you know, going through that, um, I think Janae was probably the only good time um, that I actually had in the church. And I, I had to have been about four or five. Um, and, uh, you know, we did, we as children, we did the whole Camp Sunrise thing. Um, we never really, you know, we never really lived in our own home, maybe a couple of apartments. We lived um, without other families, oh, wow. but otherwise we lived with my mom's spiritual sister and her family. Um, and we lived in the attic in this house. Um, Your whole family lived in the attic? Yeah, but it was four of I mean, us. So it, it was like a Victorian style. But then, um, yeah. And then so, we lived at a church center. Um, it was a really big house and I did not have good memories there, but we also lived in the attic as wow. well. Um, and I think at that time was when I was going to Janae. Okay. And so um, sorry, can I just ask a couple of questions there? So just to clarify, so Janae was like a, it was like a day facility, right? You weren't living that you weren't living there full time. So you're going back and forth still like, like seeing your family. Um, and I still can't, I'm trying to visualize an attic that could house a family. <laughs> um, what 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 type yeah I mean so tell me more about that like how big was this thing um you know like, it, did it, you have bedrooms or was it just like a big open plan thing like I don't and was it a finished attic yeah so the first one was um yeah they were both finished attics uh okay. the first one that we lived in with the other family um I, and I think they had three children um they, Wait, you uh, were both both families lived in the attic, or no? So, okay, all right, okay, yeah, sorry. They lived in the house, and you lived in the attic. Okay, fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so then we lived in the attic, and there was a room for Sunny and I, and then my parents. Um, you know how? Think about like a, a late eighteen hundreds house, early nineteen hundreds house that you know has stairs that go up into an attic with a yeah. you know a door, and then it on each side of those staircases, you know, there's one section and then there's another. So my parents kind of stayed on one end, we stayed on the other, but we all shared, you know, the kitchen and everything. Um, And, you know, they were a pretty decent family. Uh, There was one instance where they started to assume that their youngest son was possessed. Um, That was kind of interesting. I don't really have too much of, you know, of a story to go with that, but I do remember um, being in fear of that as a kid. Um, So, and, and this is in, sorry, this is in New York or New Jersey. New Uh, York. 
New York, yeah, we like, like suburban New York. Okay, got it, got it, okay, okay. So then the other house we lived in um, was the, it was a New York, uh, or it was um, a church center house, and it housed a lot of people. Now, mind you, I was young and small, so everything seemed really big yeah. um, and over overwhelming, but you know that that place was pretty interesting um i know like i was sunny and i lived in a room um my parent when we had a little kitchen in there and my parents had uh their little room and there was somewhat of a little tiny living area mm-hmm. but then there was another set of stairs that went up to another part of the attic that i remember a japanese woman living in so we yeah. would see her come in and out. Of so she had to go through room. your living quarters to get there. Yeah, hers. just to get wow. there. Um, and we all kind of had to share the same bathroom. Um, so for some reason, my parents were kind of like, I don't know if they had to work and so, if somebody was supposed to just take care of us. But I remember like I broke my leg or my foot or sprained my ankle. I had a cast um, and I was trying to get up these many flights of stairs. Yeah. And there was this man, he was either Korean or, or Japanese. Um, and I asked him to help me. And he, he was just so verbally mean to me um, and just said, no. And, you know, like kind of shoved me out of his way so he can get up the stairs. But I was like, can you please help me get up these stairs? Um, that was interesting. Uh, How old were you? I had to have been about like six. Wow. Six or and- five. Can I just, can I just ask a question? I want to help to like set the scene here. So, you know, I've been to loads of these like church centers, like church houses, like all, all over the country. I never lived in one, but I visited some, sometimes I would like go to, you know, workshops and like, just like, I spent a lot of time in these, in these sorts of places, but can you give a little more context as to like, I don't know, like how, how many people were sort of visiting and how many people were living in these places? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would say that there's, you know, definitely, uh, you know, there might have been like three families with children, but not many children. So I think there was me and my sister and another little girl that I remember, and there might have been another family. Um, and there were a lot of people coming in and out, especially cooking, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they had Sunday service there. And, um, you know, we had to we had to abide by all the rules. I was never really good at following the rules. I was always kind of a, you know, a, a bad kid. Um, but, you know, there there was a lot of in and out. You know, there's a, a great big red porch. It was a great big white building um, that was almost close to the corner of a street. Um, and uh, one of my memories in the kitchen yeah, I could still smell it to this day. You know, you just smell all of the, um, the fish oil and, uh, you know, mm. like the, all of that. And, and God, I can smell it as soon as you say, as soon as you say it, I'm like, I know that, I know that smell. I've been in, I've been in that yeah. kitchen, even though I don't think I was ever in that same house. I was in an identical kitchen in other States, basically. Yeah. yeah. One of the biggest, biggest things though, was, uh, seeing, a, an octopus being yeah. chopped right in front of me uh, alive uh, on the, on the counter. So, you know, I'm, tall enough to you know see what's on the counter and this live octopus shop done 
Um, I'm, I'm th- I was like three or four years old. Sorry, this is Sunday again. I was three uh-huh. or four years old at this time, but I actually have that same memory. Whoa. Um, she remembers what the house looks like a lot better than I did, but I, I remember the smell and I, I definitely remember seeing an octopus being <laughs> killed right in front of us. Oh. We thought it was a novelty, like, hey, come look at this. And we were in there, but <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm assuming like either a Japanese or Korean woman is cooking in this, in this yeah. place. Yeah. I think there were more, you know, Korean and Japanese than there were um, white families. Yeah. Um, living there uh one other interesting thing was um that's where I learned how to ride a bike but on a little gravel road in between the two houses and there would be this um I he was definitely not in the church but he always gave us the stink eye and he would stand on the corner and wear a smurf shirt and he (laughs) would cross his arms and smoke a cigarette and stare at us and I would ride my bike around the block which I probably should have never done as a kid um but he I'll never forget that guy in the uh, smurf shirt so he's just uh, kind of so, like sitting there with a cigarette being like who are these these moonies basically <laughs> yeah. like, just what yeah. the hell is going on here <laughs> so there there was that you know we we did end up moving you know like we Sunny and I went to uh public school okay. um you know the the name of the school was like PS21 yeah okay. uh, you know, and, um, and then we ended up living in, you know, a small apartment. Um, I remember making a friend who was not inside, you know, who was not in the church, a fallen child. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, was heartbroken when she had to leave. Um, you know, and I think there was one time where I was so upset with my parents because there was some wait kind what of, do you mean had to leave like your parents kicked her out like she couldn't she couldn't hang out or like she I think her family was moving so she uh, had, okay she, okay I just remember her having to leave and I was so upset um but you know I was very ups, upset with anything that was involved with the church at a very young age since I could remember okay. I was always boycotting it in fact my mom always says you know you uh, hated the church since you were born. You know, she, she's just always kind of stuck. Good instincts. But, you know, that was also my first time when, when I ran away from home for a short minute, you know, as a, as a young girl. And I had to have been about eight at that time. So that was right Whoa. before Maryland. So I was how already long, angry. And how long were you, were you away? Not that long. Enough to go around the corner. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. But, um, you know, there was just, I think at that time, there was a lot of anger towards, you know, uh, the, the church. I think something might have happened to me that I probably blocked out that would have caused this anger looking back on it. Okay. So you, you think know, there was some sort of extreme, something happened to you that made yeah. you? Yeah. yeah. I, I guess I, I would just one one thing that i that i want to bring up um is again after again not living in a church center but being in in a, in a lot of them to me it always felt like there was just there was this constant flow of people coming and going um and like you know you'd get like i don't know a fundraising team from across the country would be like oh we're in maryland okay we're just gonna sit say at this church center for a few days we'll do some fundraising here and then we'll go on our way or there might be some missionaries coming from japan or 
whatever. It just seemed like there was this constant flow of people coming and going and they would like stay there for a while and then leave. I know my parents like lived in these places for a while as well. When they like in back in the early days, your parents probably lived in these places as well. Um, but it just, it just feel to me, it felt like there was like this, this constant churn, this constant, uh, and some of these people would be church members. Some of them would be like halfway church members. Some of them would be on their way in, some of them would be on their way out. But just think of the context of like, young kids living in a place like that with all these people uh, like who by the way the church just gives them a free pass the church just assumes they're all good people and they're all trustworthy with their kids right um i mean it just seems like a like a recipe for abuse basically that that's what it yeah. that's what it that's what it seems like to me and, and one of the things that my mom had said there, there's a few reasons why we've lived in some small apartments and the church center is um she did not want to live at the New Yorker. Um, okay. She had, she had actually been a chef there, so the the church actually helped pay for her education at uh, Cordon Bleu uh, Chef School or something like that in in New York, so that she could be a chef at the New Yorker. <laughs> That's the only time the church has ever paid for anyone's education, only so that they can then go cook for other church members. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so but she saw how families were living there and what the state of things were, and she knew immediately. Like if once she has kids, she's not, she does not want to raise her kids at the New Yorker. Um, and so, where it would have been cheaper for I think our families to live there, um, they chose to live in you know these uh, um, apartments prior to us living at the church center, um, apartments that were run by the mafia. <laughs> Um, like their Whoa. landlords were connected with the mafia or something like that in New York. Um, you know, it yeah. just all these other little crazy things. And so they actually felt safer at the church center. So that was one of the reasons why they moved into it. Um, and then, but the other part of it with like just letting anybody take care of your kids was um, we went through a lot of babysitters because both of our parents right. were working. Um, and uh, our dad worked at the uh, New York Tribune. And I, I don't remember, I think my mom was doing some kind of secretarial and thing for another uh, church company. Is, was the New York Tribune, was that like a predecessor to, or what was that? Can you describe uh, that and was, then we'll go back? It was a church-run newspaper. Um, it did not compete well in New York amongst all the other newspapers and, you know, bigger names and things like that. Um, but one of the things I think was kind of a good thing for our family is that my dad's an artist and it, it allowed him to come in there as a graphic artist and do page layouts and things like that for the newspaper and gave him a lot of, you know, pride and confidence and skill building that uh, he probably wouldn't have gotten, you know, the opportunity to um, outside okay. of the Okay. Um, but that actually helped him then get the job over at the world and I, when they decided you know, to move to Maryland because yeah. the tribute was closing Okay. Um, they needed to move somewhere. Okay. Um, and one of the other things that my mom had mentioned was that uh, the the members that were living in New York were under the assumption, one way or the other, because they were told this, or they were—I I don't know why—but they were under the assumption that they could not own their own homes. Uh, oh, that they really? Purchase and own their own homes. And then some people started moving to Maryland um, and just started buying their own places. Um, and 
uh, so a lot of people started migrating to Maryland um, so that they could live that life and actually own homes uh, as well just... as I think if they were going to work with the church you know companies that was kind of where the business was going as well yeah well I mean that's what my parents did they, they moved to moved to the DC area and bought a house um, but actually you were going to say I want to talk about all this stuff but I also want to go back to yeah, so, uh, you know, you were talking about the babies, the babysitters, and it sounded like you had right. something interesting to say there. Yeah, sorry, thank you for that. Um, right. So we we had a lot of um, different babysitters, and most of them were church related. Um, and I know that when we were living in the church center, um, a lot of times for a couple hours before my parents could get home from work, it was just whoever was in the church uh, center that was that either picked us up from daycare or that was there for us um, for a couple of hours. Um, and my mom said something along the lines like she just couldn't hold down one person because they were all kind of flaky. They they would say, oh yes, we'll watch. And then after like, you know, a few weeks of doing it like that, no, we don't want to do this anymore. Mm. And just kind of moved on to their own thing, which is relatively a human thing to do. But like, the camaraderie and the commitment to each other in the church was not really there you know like they weren't my mom thought thought that that there would be more community and more you know Mm. like yes we'll help you and things like that than you know she got um and then the family that we lived with um as Aljun said the um we lived up in the attic part and they lived in the bottom part of the house um that lady had actually said that she would watch us um, in addition to her kids uh, because the commute from Manhattan to Queens and things like that was really long and it took a really long time for us for them to get there and she started flaking out too but a lot of the things that she was saying was yeah her son was possibly possessed and she wasn't she thought that you know Algen and I were evil or something I, I can't remember all the things but she thought that there was something going on with us as well and did not want to be the caretaker of her anymore or of us anymore um so she, the, then we ended up just going with outside of church um you know situations and I think uh we had let me some, guess they were more reliable we, well there was one oh who was really that I remember oh, okay um, uh, refused to feed us while we were there made us oh, watch wow. her kids eat in front of them uh, oh, in front of okay. us. Um, that's horrible <laughs> but we, we did have a couple of others that were good I think there was one teenager that lived down the street that you know I think Algen actually got a, she Algen had a better re- relationship with her and, and stuff like that I just vaguely remember her but um you know so there was one good person <laughs> but yeah not church member related so yeah. yeah, there was a lot of random people that were supposedly in charge of us and yep. you know, none of them were reliable. Yep. So. Yeah. Yep. I think that's a very, 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 very common theme amongst many of these conversations. Yeah. Um, so do you want to, um, just want to make sure, so I'm just looking at my notes here. I want to make sure we're kind of covering the right bit, the right bits. Um, do you want to, should we kind of like move on a bit to the, like, you know, you, you already mentioned DC and New Hope, or sorry, sorry, uh, the world and I and stuff like that. Do you want to, can we, do you want to move on or is there anything else you want to like specifically call out um, about that, that time that you spent in the, in the New York, New Jersey area? 
No, I'm, I'm fine with moving on along. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we can always come back if there's something, if there's something else you want to, you want to come back to, but I think that paints a pretty, it paints a pretty, uh, pretty strong picture of, uh, you know, what that was, what that was like. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing so far. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's move on, I guess, over, over to you. Take it, take it away. Sorry. I kind of dominated earlier. Um, so when we moved to Maryland, I was in kindergarten. So I was five years old and Aldrin would have been in first or second grade at that point. Um, Where in Maryland did you move to? I'm wondering how close we lived to each other. Laurel. Okay. Laurel, All right. Laurel. Okay. okay. Um, and uh, we went to New Hope Academy because it was a church-run school. Yeah. Um, Can I, I just want to pause there and just just to explain that. I don't know if we've spoken about it before, but New Hope Academy was a, yeah, it was a church-run school in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, even though I grew up in D.C., I never went there, but I knew a lot of people who, who did go there. Uh, a lot of my yep. friends went there and like I, I went there all the time for workshops and like like sometimes I go hang out with my friends whose parents like bought houses in the neighborhood to be close to it. And we would go hang out at New Hope Academy. So I've been there like a gajillion times, although I never actually went to school there. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I think our, the big thing was that our parents wanted us to um, be in a school that was surrounded by, by other blessed children and in the church community because um it was supposed to be safer. Um, but I, I'll let Aljun kind of explain, explain that part. Aljun no, I'll, I can dive right in. Yeah. <laughs> Her experience. So I, I will, I'll preface it with, I had wonderful um, memories there. Um, I, there was a lot of friends that I made there at that school. Um, and the biggest thing that I remember is some bamboo trees in the back. Um, yeah. And, honeysuckles like we go out for recess and suck on the honeysuckle so that we're out there um and then they also taught us ballet like I I really enjoyed ballet class there even though I couldn't dance with the shit um so I had okay that kind of sounds idyllic honeysuckles and ballet what's not what's not to like but there's more to it I I don't want to jump too far ahead but like when we no longer went there you can kind of see the the lacking of everything else mm. um, that kind of went with that. But Aldrin had a, a different experience there and, and we'll go with that first. And... <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I made um, a couple of friends and one I'm still friends with, um, which is uh, pretty unique, but um, the- Can I ask who it is? We can take the name out. I just want to see if I'll take, sure. I promise I'll take it out later. I just want to know if it's a person I know. Uh, no, don't, um, don't know him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> her, her mom was a teacher there as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, I don't really remember much about, you know, regular uh, school curriculum that we would typically learn. I, yeah. I do know that there was a mixture of um, a lot of things, but there was, I don't remember a lot of structure. Um, that did, you they, typically- did they like teach kind of like, I don't know, like, Okay, well, let, let me just take a step back here. So um, as far as I remember, New Hope Academy, like it was definitely a church run school, but they were also trying to like, 
at least at a certain point in time, they were trying to like appeal to non-church members. Um, and so maybe that was, mm-hmm. that was after your time or at a, a different point in the timeline. Okay. Okay. Because I felt like at one point they were trying to attract other kids like locally. Um, I wish it might've been through the plays that we had to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but okay. So I guess my question is like, were they teaching like church subjects? Like, would they teach you the divine principle? And do they try and teach you Korean and like all this, all this yeah. sort of stuff? They did. That was okay. definitely a part of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're, so like, I just want to get that. this on the record. You're in a supposedly like, you're meant to be in school learning, like, you know, science and reading and writing and math. And they're teaching you Mooney theology and the language most of the time most of the time yeah okay I remember sorry again I'm jumping in on this one but I also remember at the beginning of each school day there was like a meditation time um, where we all sat in this room I think we did our did a pledge or something like that to and I could be wrong we had to do a pledge okay so was it the same pledge that everyone sat on like on like Sunday mornings uh, or a different sort of pledge, but, but you're, yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. do you remember the, my, the contents? My memory of that, I know one of them was the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Oh, okay, all right. I do know that we also did um, church-related, like, pledges, um, like we did the vows and, you know, getting oh, all wow. the way down and things like so that. So you had, you would bow yeah. all, in school, you'd do a full kyungbae, which is, for yeah. people who don't know, kyungbae is, is a full bow like like bowing to like basically your nose and your hands are on the ground um so you would do that and would there be a picture of of moon that you were bowing to oh yeah yeah and it was like in their pictures everywhere yeah but christ (laughs) so we start off our day with that and then we had like um I, it felt like, you know, forever for me as like a five-year-old, but we, we had a meditation time period, which again, could have been like two minutes, but like for me, it felt like yeah. it was forever. Four hours. Sit there and just pretend to know what I was doing um, and meditating and things like that. But that was how we started the school day. And then um, the rest of it seemed more like legit school, but yes, there was Korean language learning. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they had some kind of DP study or divine principle study uh, that happened in it, but um, I'm too young to really remember all the details on that one. Um, so, sorry, I'll stop interjecting on all. That's right. That's right. No, it's <laughs> fascinating. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. So, um, it kind of you know a, a lot of that going on day in day out, but at some point in time, and I don't think I lasted there too long um i uh remember being in a stairwell area with a, a girl um it was by a door and and i said hey, you know i know um i can i said you know i can tell you that i know how to have sex and wh- where that came from again you know there could have been things that were suppressed from new york who knows? Um, I'll also dive in that, you know, it, in New York, um, at in the 80s and early 90s, there were a lot of uh, fake dollar bills with women, naked women on it. Um, so there was, really? a, you know, I was, I've never heard of that piece of New York history. Them. Yeah, I <laughs> wow. just collect them for fun, you know, so okay. I, I was exposed to a lot of that. So anyway, um, just trying to kind and, of. And so how, wait, how old are you? How old are you here for, for context? Eight. 
I was eight okay. years old. Okay. Um, and so she, I guess, told the principal, and the principal at the time was. Uh, um, oh, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about her yeah. when the recording's done. I'm not gonna. Okay. I can't. I, can't, I like. Absolutely. There's some things that I do. I shouldn't put on tape about. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah just put it. Just put it that way. But when we stop yeah. recording, we're gonna talk about that. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So yeah, and uh, she. I guess you know. I, I remember being in the office with her and my mom. Um, I don't know if my dad was there. My dad was kind of in and out of the picture, although they were still together. But, um, and, you know, I was remember being told that I can no longer go to that school anymore. Um, and that I. Holy shit. You know, because of what I said. And, and, and you just, you said, I, I know what sex is. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I know how to, how to have sex and. I, I didn't, I didn't know anything as to why this was happening. And even though she told me, but, you know, very quickly after that, it had to have been in the middle of the school year or, or maybe towards the end, but I had to go to public school and I felt like I was being punished automatically because, you know, I was no longer with the BC kids, you know, the blessed children. Um, somehow I became fallen um, and I had to be with these other kids who were known as fallen children and who were not like me. And um, so, and it would have been different at the age of five compared to eight. When you're eight, a lot of so, different things, a lot of changes happen to you, you know, and, yeah. and a lot of traumatic things, it seems like happens to eight-year-olds for some reason. But when I entered that school, um, immediately I was not liked by many kids. Um, I looked different. Um, I was made fun of for being chunky, um, smelly, and white. Um, and I would get hit and slapped um, quite often. And we were also latchkey kids. So, you know, I had to come home to, to no parent. Um, yeah. And so that, that wow. became very traumatic. Um, and knowing that I had to, after all of this, I had to go to, um, church members' houses and stay the night for sleepovers with the, I don't know if you want to keep that in or out. We'll take it out. I, I know them well, but we'll take it out just to protect myself. I'm going to take out all the names. <laughs> okay. Well, so my rule is if it's like moon or Kim or like someone up there, I leave it in, but names like that, I keep them, I keep them yeah. out. That's, that's so, you know, going there and knowing yeah. that, you know, they knew about, you know, me being a bad kid, mm. um, the, the atmosphere changed dramatically um, as to how I was treated. Um, so, I, you know, moving on, I, I did make, I, I kept one good friend, Lindsay, and then I, I made another friend um, who was not in the church and you know she lived close to the neighborhood and uh we're still friends to this day as well oh that's awesome but, that's uh, awesome yeah can but i just she, I, I let's let's come back to that because i just want to make a point here which is like i just think it's really crazy like the whole theology that we were taught to is about sex like like sorry we were taught what well, i mean like my parents told me what sex is when i was i've said this on the show when i was four years old they told me what sex is like i didn't know like i didn't know like anything else about it but I knew what it was um 
Uh, and then, and I'm sorry, I think, like, I mean, the, the, the church is full of misogyny. I'm sure if I had said that, like, this wouldn't have happened. Um, but, and, and, and I actually, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, it sounds like this, you know, this was just like a conversation you had with the, with a, the girl in the, you know, in the stairwell, like just whatever, as kids talk, it kind of reminds me of when I was at a church camp, I was, I think younger than you, I was, I think I was seven years old. And, um, I knew what sex was, but I didn't really know what the, what the mechanics were. Um, and I was sitting around with a, with a bunch of boys, some of whom I'm still friends to this day, but I won't mention their names. Um, and they, um, one of them, them goes, Oh my God. He goes, did you, he goes, <laughs> and this is literally just kind of like behind the bathrooms, almost, almost like the, the analog of what you're, you're describing in a camp, in a camp situation, just boys hanging out behind the bathrooms, like just, just, just chatting at seven years old. And he's like, did you know? that when your dick gets hard, it's so you can have sex. Uh, and I was like, <laughs> Oh, like I didn't, I have to say, I didn't know that. I, I didn't, I didn't know that before then. All I had been told was it was when the things come together, but I didn't know that that was part of, part of like how it works. Part of it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I'm just thinking like, if I, you know, if I had like gone and told my camp counselor that this kid had told me that, like, I don't think, I don't think anything would have happened to me or to him, quite honestly. Like, I, they would have just been like, oh, it's just boys being boys, whatever. Like, you know, I, which to me, it's like pretty much the same thing as what, what you've just, what you've just described. It's just the boy version of it. And yeah. first, n- not only did it not even occur to me to say anything to someone about it, but even if I had, I don't think there would have been any repercussions at all. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, well, misogyny is a whole other th- topic of conversation. Obviously, I'm like, for sure. I can see it, but I don't experience it in the way, in the way that, 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 that you guys do. But I just, I want to call that out. This what a fucking stupid ass double standard. I'm sorry that you got yeah. hit, hit hard by that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's good to have somebody else's perspective on, on it, you know, knowing that there was something similar, you know, at that young of age and, and how you, you know, you were, they weren't treated that way or would not have been treated that way. Yeah. Um, Thank you for explaining that on your Mm. end. Yeah. Um, It's quite a messed up time uh, for, for somebody who's almost shunned, almost, you know, just um, ostracized um, at such a young age. It's, it still kind of makes me, it it still has affected me to this day. I believe it. Um, but, you know, over the years, I, I've kind of had this punk rock mentality and, you know, I'm tough and nobody's going to fuck with me and, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, it, it got me like to the point where I was so much on my own that by the age of nine, I was smoking cigarettes Whoa. Uh, on my own free will, you know, yeah. and um, and it certainly hasn't stopped since I'm still smoking cigarettes, <laughs> but. Um, you know, it's, uh, when I was almost relieved, but also sad, um, that we got to leave Maryland. We, you know, um, uh, I, I would also, I also want to add in, you know, there were a lot of experiences and I'm sure you related to them as well at the church center in DC, that big one with the symbol on the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, 16th Street and Columbia Road. I've been there so, yeah. many, so many times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and just constantly running around with a whole bunch of kids and stuff and um uh and all the ginseng up that you can drink um <laughs> i do remember that um but you know anyway oh yeah i got a bit okay i won't tell the story there because i just realized i recorded it it's in the next episode that i'm publishing i got a good story about oh. ki- kids running around but I, I won't i won't spoil it now but yes <laughs> i remember it and you'll know what i'm yeah. talking about when that episode gets published because yes i remember it <laughs> okay, sorry continue <laughs> Yeah. Um, Sonny, did you want to add anything? Otherwise, I, I was yeah. going to move on to Iowa. Oh, no, let's talk the... about Iowa a little bit longer. Um, because the, the, the reason why, so when I was reaching out to you about this podcast, the, the yeah. biggest thing was how Algen's life um, and the, everything that happened in the church for her um, even back to, you know, the Jacob house and all of that stuff, um, how it affected me. And I mean, like, you can't mm-hmm. be a sibling in a, in a family and not have, you know, the birth order for one thing, but then also the other roles that, um, for lack of a better word, a dysfunctional family, which I don't really like that term, but there's roles that people play um, in the family to keep order, to mm-hmm. do, um you know, that everybody has their part to play, I guess. Um, but in Maryland, um, so because Algin had that shroud of being the bad girl, and I hate that phrase as well. <laughs> like, I don't want to say that she was the bad kid, but she had that shroud over her. She, people talked, like, for instance, I, I knew your name, but I never met you. Um, even yeah. though we probably went to church I knew that there was an Elgin out there. And I thought it was funny because my sister's name is Algin. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I, I never had met you, but like yeah. I knew about you and you were supposedly this like really great BC kid that everybody was supposed to look up to. You know, like that, was, that was your role. Um, and everybody, there, there were certain kids and certain people that had a reputation and, for better or worse, we all had a part to play in that. And unfortunately for Algen, you know, I believe it was really just that one instance, you know, she never did. I mean, she may have rebelled a little bit or, you know, she's just anti-authority and, you know, good for her on that. But like she, she rebelled a little bit, but that one instance at New Hope Academy tarnished her forever. Yeah. I believe it. I believe. And yeah. Her, completely. I know how, I know how it goes. I mean, it didn't happen to me, but I, I saw it happen right. to, to many other people. Yeah. And, you know, and for the younger sister of, you know, a girl mm-hmm. that has that reputation, and I didn't even know what she did. All I knew is that people didn't wow. like, um, you know, and like we had mutual friends and things like that. And just to kind of give an example of how this affected not only me, but our mutual friends, um, we had a friend that lived um, in an apartment complex adjacent to ours so our our backyard kind of connected our back courtyard connected into their apartment complex and we were playing barbies and we were young and we we got we were playing barbies on our way to her apartment and we got distracted we stayed out longer and you know things like that and we made our way to the stairwell of her apartment and her mom finally came out because I think she heard us playing and she dragged her daughter in and then said, you should go home um, to me. And I kind of stuck around to listen because she immediately started yelling at her daughter. And she's like, 
do you want to turn out like all Jen, you know, blah, 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 oh, you know, man. and I'm hearing this as, you know, like, I loved my sister. I didn't ever yeah. hate her, you know, at, of course at that you would. Yeah. Life. And like, this is my older sister talking about, this is my family you're talking about. And so I'm, I'm like, what? But then it kind of occurred to me like, oh, you know, like I can't be like my sister either, you know, and I started, you know, trying to do more and be more pious and, you know, show all the rest of the BC kids, you know, that I wasn't like her. You could still mm. be my friend, you know, and, you know, things like that. And I do did you... have a lot of friends there. So like my experience was different, but I still had to hold up this, this image that I was different and I was better, you know, and that mm. ended up creating this rift because Alden saw me doing that, I'm sure. And, you know, sibling rivalry that it you know can be like it, it just kind of created this bigger wedge and we really had a rough relationship pretty much from that point on um wow. you know it's taken really up until maybe the last five or six years for us to really wow. you know reconcile and you know be better sisters to each other you know and that that's the fucking church that's what did it to us it wasn't yeah you know like Alden could have done whatever and, you know, could have still been a bad kid or whatever outside of the church, but without that church community and that reputation that everybody has to hold and the image that everybody has to portray, I wouldn't have held so much resentment against her, yeah. you know, at that point, um, you know, and that's kind of where the damage lay, you know, mm. but again, if it wasn't, and just kind of going back to some other parts of it, if it, if it wasn't for um, the situation that happened at Jacob house, I would have never been born, or at least at that point. Um, well, wait, why just, is that? What's that? Well, I mean, we don't need too many details, but I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we all know how sex happens, I guess. Yeah. But, but it's Your dick gets hard. <laughs> That's what it is. I learned that from a kid behind the bathroom at Camp Sun Up when I was seven years old. <laughs> so, so the situation was, um, but um, because CPS was involved, um, and and just kind of background history on me, I'm also a social worker and I worked with child protective services and things like that. So I kind of understand a little bit more what that protocol would have been. But with with the family having a child that was near death cps regardless of the situation would have gotten involved they probably investigated um, and found that our parents weren't negligent in their own end that there was you know a bunch of circumstances that were out of their end so there's probably not a full record because they didn't find them um you know to be found guilty of neglect but um because okay. the so it's like your parents were like, yeah, there's no like record of neglect associated with your parents. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, my mom said something different and she's not the type of person that would have admitted to that if it didn't actually happen. So like there was definitely some CPS involvement in it, but okay. I don't really know the full extent of it. But regardless, she, my mom and dad couldn't do the witnessing anymore, couldn't do the fundraising um, during that time. And then coincidentally, this is also the same time um, around, I guess, between April and May of 1984, um, Reverend Moon was in prison for tax evasion. Mm -hmm. um, and 
during that time period, uh, he had a condition, and I'm putting conditions in quotes, he had a mandate um, for the, the married couples to be abstinent. Um, so they were oh. not allowed to have sex during this time. Wait, but, for the whole time he was in prison? Yeah. Yeah, they were. And that ended up being like three years or something like that? I, I don't know how long the conditioning lasted, but during there was definitely a year time period where they weren't supposed to. No, um, I've never yeah. heard of this before. Yeah. And what a bastard. So, Jesus. Right. Christ. Like, you can't have sex and no one else can, right? What the fuck? Um, but wait, wait, hold on. Man, was it like all families or only certain families that were meant to adhere to this? Because I've never heard this before. This is crazy. So I I don't know the details of that. What I know is my mom said this is this is my origin story. <laughs> my mom said that they were they were following condition where they weren't supposed to have sex because moon was in prison um but they were also mandated by the state to stay home you know <laughs> with my sister who almost died um you know and they're still a very young freshly married couple they loved each other and enjoyed each other's company and they got bored um and nine <laughs> months later <laughs> you know i was born um but I had, I had always noticed growing up that I was um, either older than my peers or younger than my peers. And oh, interesting. And so I, I, wait, I, I would like to get feedback on this, but I'm pretty sure there's not too many people that are born within the first six months of 1985. That interesting. Are okay. Second generation. Okay. <laughs> 1985 first half. Okay, that is hilarious. I don't I don't know. I don't I don't have the data, but maybe we'll get some some listener feedback because that is hilarious. And I, I'm sure I mean you you could easily look at the numbers and figure it out if we could get that data. Um I don't I don't, I don't know where that data exists now, but Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. So let's just say this. Let's just say this. If any listener was born if any listener was born into the Moonies between you know, January 1985 and June 1985, give or take a little bit, you know, just, just in case, uh, let us know, hit, hit, hit me up. Um, cause that would be very interesting to see if anything, everything comes back or if anyone has any other insight on this. Yeah. On this, on this like gap in procreation, I've never heard of this. This yeah. is hilarious. And, and to me it's, it's just kind of, it's a funny story and I like to call it my origin story because again, without the set of circumstances that happened um, and a hundred percent based off of the shit that was imposed by the church, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. Least as I am now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but that also, there was always for me, I always had this emotional tie to my sister. I always felt like, you know, she was my older sister. I needed to follow her and take care of her, you know, and she should take care mm -hmm. of me and things like that. And that was just kind of the, the thought I always had. Um, but then when all of this shit happened in Maryland, you know, like it was kind of a retraining and damaging of my mind and relationship and all of that with my sister. Um, and so it, it just, it's one of those things where I know there's a lot of those young people that we were friends with and, you know, that we interacted with that are no longer in the church. You know, I, I see them on 
uh, different forums that, you know, allows us to connect. But I, I just, I wonder what, you know, if they, if they truly had that perception of us, you know, mm. or, you know, of our family, or if it really was just kind of, I know parents, some parents did, but I don't know if all the kids did. Um, yeah. But I know that I had to really hold my end up to make sure, you know, even when I started questioning the church and what I really believed in it and all that stuff, I still felt like I had to follow through with going, you know, to church services and things like that. You know, mm. I went on to Love Alliance, even though I pretty much was like, fuck that shit. I'm not, mm. <laughs> you know, like I, I wasn't really committed to the abstinence before marriage and fidelity, I mean, fidelity. Yeah. But, you know, I wasn't really committed to all of that, you know, when I went on the tour, um, but I definitely felt like I had to be the one that did it, you know, mm. like that. Um, and I mean, that's kind of in a nutshell, the relationship I had with my sister was then whatever bad she did, I had to do something good. Wow. Okay. You know, I had to show that I was the one holding up the family yeah. lineage. Yeah. You know, that's- I, I mean, like that pressure, pressure to hold it up is fierce. It's a, it's, it's a fierce pressure. And I think, I mean, I, know, I was never in that situation in, in my family where I felt like I had to like, you know, hold up another sibling, but I could, I, I could see it happening. If, if I was in that situation, I could, I could see it, you know, doubling down on the pressure that that I felt as a as a kid like I got to do something here to make my to you know make my parents proud and fulfill the promise and and, and everything else like that I could I, I could believe that 100% I could see it and I mean do you feel well I mean I guess this is almost like a question for the audience is like for anyone that, that knew you guys growing up did, did they feel this sort of you know distance from you or did it come from their parents or but to me it sounds like you felt a distance because of what was being said about your sister and if, and you felt like you needed to make up for that. Um, and, and that I can, I believe that a hundred percent because I've, I've seen this, I've seen this from the other side of the coin and in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to hear from other people in the, in the listener community to, to hear like what their, um, uh, yeah what their perceptions were and they can like if they can contact me or they can contact you directly if they if 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 they want i you know if, if they want to contact you we can uh we can you know add your contact details later if you want uh but you know and i'm happy for this show to be a way for people just to you know reach out to you directly if they'd if they'd like to, to explore that with you or if they want to you know sure. submit it to the show or whatever let me know let me know um yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it, so there was all of that going on and i i just feel like when I look back on the things that I am aware of my sister doing other than smoking cigarettes, I really, the things that she did were not bad. Mm. And she was not really a bad girl, you know, and as she said, we, you know, our parents worked at the world and I, um, and so their commute from, you know, school in Maryland, at least in Laurel, we got out of school at two. Um, PM. <laughs> so most schools get out at three um, and things like that. But so we were home a little bit longer than I think a lot of kids would have been um, after school. We both had keys to our house, um, you know, things like that. But, you know, Alden went out and, you know, hung out with her friends and did what she wanted to do. And I stayed home and watched Animaniacs. And, you know, <laughs> I remember that show. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's that. And, um, but I never really thought 
I shouldn't say that. So back then I thought what she was doing. So going out and hanging out with her friends or whatever she was doing outside of the house at that point was bad. And so the antithesis of that was me to stay home yeah. and okay. you know, not go out and do those things. Okay. Um, but when I look back at it as an adult and just my memory, not even what, whatever Aldrin will tell me she did or didn't do, my memory is just like, well, what? what did she do she didn't do anything yeah i mean she didn't that's just completely crazy that you were shunned for that and shunned is the right word i know it's like you know the the jehovah's witnesses have it's like a specific term in the jw's like shunning is like a thing in 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 their in, in their world um for us it's i don't think it's not it's not not like defined in the same way but it is the same thing right. uh and that's and exactly. that's what that's what that's what happened to you basically I'm, I'm man i'm so sorry to hear that um especially for something so goddamn trivial um yeah. when you're eight years and when you're eight years old i mean God, so my son is nearly is nearly eight years old now and like he tells me the most the the like i'm really grateful he just tells me whatever like you know he he would tell if if some kid told him what sex was yesterday he would come to me today and be like dad did you know what sex is and i'd be like okay tell me about this <laughs> let's let's have this conversation um but that's it like it's so innocent at that age to and and to think of someone um you know just to think of the repercussions of that is just uh, it's horrible it's yeah it's really it's tragic i'm really sorry to hear that Thank you. It, it, it is it is very um, uh, unexpectedly helpful to hear someone else say that. So thank oh, okay. you for acknowledging sure. it, um, because it's, you know, um, something that we don't always really talk about. I mean, we put most of the times in our lives, you know, since we moved to Iowa, the church has just kind of faded away, you mm. know. Um, kind of like a picture in that would fade away and back to the future you know it just kind of that is a great analogy away, I love that you know? <laughs> um, so and I'm, I'm super grateful for that as well um, you know m- moving to Iowa was definitely a a turning point um, it was a culture shock um, oh, you know yeah. it's midwest everybody's fucking white with their yeah. fucking blonde hair <laughs> you know um it was really tall people actually wait can we come back i want to come back to all the fucking white people in iowa in a second but i i want to because i hopefully we can kind of keep a little bit of the chronology here but i want to go back to um to the world and i and the washington times i want to i want to drill in a little bit there because i know you have some interesting things to say, and I, I guess just for, for context, so the Washington Times is this newspaper that we've spoken about that was, uh, it still exists today, was, uh, you know, started by Reverend Moon and was part of his engine of right-wing political influence. Uh, in summary, the world and I is far less well-known, uh, and it's a, a magazine that was uh, published by the world and I. Um, uh, for the record, both of my parents worked there. My dad was like one of the guys who started the world and I, um, and my mother worked there as well doing, doing various things throughout the years. Um, and they, as far as I understand, they kind of didn't know what they were doing to start with. And like many things in this old Mooney world, um, but they started to try and be like an educational magazine over the years. So something that you could sell to schools and a teacher could sort of like read through and, and like talk about some 
history or some science or something that was happening in the world. And um, uh, that's uh, like over maybe in the second half of the world and I's tenure. Uh, that's kind of what it was. But yeah, it was a magazine that would um, that was uh, like a subsidiary of the Washington Times, basically. Um, so sorry, yeah. let me just set that context and then I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to, to you to continue. Uh, we definitely yeah. had a lot of boxes of those magazines. Um, I, oh. Our dad did some of the artwork uh, okay. for the, the, you know, like the graphic work for it. And, okay. uh, and I do remember there being, you know, some publications about um, uh, Reverend Moon and, and his wife. Uh, what? Oh, in the world and I. I remember some of it. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. I never saw those. I also, speaking of. Cover. Okay. Really? Okay. I mean, why wouldn't they, if they, if yeah. they, <laughs> um, but speaking, speaking of boxes of world and I magazines, uh, in my, the last time I was at my parents' house in the, in the U S which was a few years ago now, but, um, they have, I hope this is the only place in, in, in the world that this, that this exists, um, for the sake of the world, but they have on these shelves, I think it's a, a full set of, of world and I magazines from, start to finish every every month for like I guess it was around 10 to 15 years that it was published they have every 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 publication in order on a shelf wow um I hope that's the only place that exists but who knows? <laughs> I don't know about every there's definitely parcels of all of that um in different homes across the country yeah exactly I'm sure you could piece it together from from various <laughs> places but we may have the only collection on earth yeah, <laughs> only full collection our dad was uh, a graphic artist there, um, and again, it's it's kind of one of those weird things to give some credit to the church. On on our dad was he's colorblind, so being an artist, oh, wow. a, a graphic artist, is very difficult. Um, but he he found his niche in it and was loved it. Um, and having the jobs there allowed him to grow in that field mm. uh, but both of there was I guess some going on things that were going on in the in, in the community as well as just kind of in the um that business like they I think they knew that the magazine was failing and it wasn't going yeah. to um it survive. was it was failing for a long time um, for, yeah from the beginning I don't think it really ever made money basically and, and that's actually part of the interesting bit um, is that when they couldn't make the payroll um, based off of the proceeds from the Washington Times and the World and I, they used uh, funding um, that was raised by Japanese um, members in Japan. Yep. Um, and they used all of their, their money for that, all the tidings that they had Yep. was used to pay for it and my mom and, said that one of the, sorry and just to understand the provenance of this information yeah. so where did your mother work um she was the uh, hr director um for oversaw both the times and uh, the world and i so she did okay. payroll hiring and all of that stuff for for all of them wow <laughs> okay she's very well placed for this sort yeah. of information so okay and i we've kind of touched on this in previous episodes i think that like the fact that the world like the the washington times was basically bankrolled by all these fundraisers in yeah. japan um but i've never spoken to someone that was like 
kind of had a, had a source so so close to the to the source of information. Yeah, and and so the thing that killed her, and so she was kind of like, you know, we're supposed to again. She was always operating as this is a movement, not a church type of thing, and so her whole process was well we're supposed to be uniting the world you know why are we dividing why are we putting you know some people above others um as far as their culture you know and them using their money that they don't even know what they're raising it for they don't know where it's going it's going to pay for a magazine that's failing you know and that sort of thing and my mom viewed the world and I as you know an ego boost for moon you know like mm. this is just another thing that you know he gets to put his name on you know yeah. the church gets to put his name on yep. um but he's punishing the japanese you know in yeah that's the cost of that ego boost right to bang forward um and so somewhere around 19 end of 94 early 95 um they were we were all, all the families were told that they should go to their homelands, you know, and, yeah. and build their home churches and things like that. So yeah. um, that's how we ended up moving to Iowa because <laughs> okay. that's where our dad was from. Um, okay. And that's where we, you know, had some family and things like that. So there's a lot of things that made sense for us to move to Iowa, other than the fact that it's not the best place for a person with graphic arts <laughs> as their yeah. career. Like it, it's not, it wasn't like the hub of magazines and, you know, and this is, you know, early stages of internet where graphic yeah. arts wasn't really like the mid nineties. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. We got um, there in 95. Yeah. Okay. New Year's Day of 95. And so, yeah, we, when we moved here, um, I think our parents kind of also took that as a breath of fresh air, you know, to kind of step away from the the more suffocating community of yeah. the and unification I th- church. I think just for context, I mean, my understanding is there's hardly any unification church presence in Iowa. It's not like Maryland or New right. York or any, any big city on the coast where there's like a lot of, you know, a lot of church members. There's probably yeah. hardly anyone in Iowa. I think at most we had five to six families um, in a whole state, the whole state. Yeah. Um, And we would take turns hosting, um, you know, church services. Yeah. Um, And it was once a month church services. So we didn't do it every Sunday. Um, So we go, Des Moines was where the church center was. So we, you know, purchased another, uh, the church purchased another, um, antiquated house that needed a lot of fixing up to do oh that sounds familiar Um, you know they have that house in every state yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and so that line in there kills me you might not have even heard it because the audio cut out but when Sunday talks about Moon being in Danbury prison, and he's like, I can't have sex, so none of y'all can have sex either. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. Jesus Christ. But that's exactly what was going through his head. Fuck. What a bastard. What a fucking bastard. <sighs> if anyone has any insight upon the births or not births that occurred as a result of 
that wonderful Unification Church policy, I would love to know, as would Sunay. Um, please feel free to contact me or contact Sunay or both of us. It's up to you. I will put her contact details in the show notes to this episode. Um, thank you again to Aljin and Sunay. Next time, we will be going deeper into their stories and talking about the impact that all of everything that you've heard so far had upon the rest of their life and their, their relationships later on. Thank you to both of them for getting involved. Uh, thank you to Teddy Hose for the graphic design work. Thank you to at Leaky Lou Co. for the portraits. You should go to the Leaky Lou Co. store on Etsy and put in promo code falling out for a 10% discount on anything there. Also, thank you to Donna Cervelli for helping out with uh, some of the nuts and bolts behind the scenes over here. Thank you so much, folks. I'll be back in a week. Peace.